nearly 8.45. Science and technology now with Mark Zastro, science journalist. Good morning to you. Good morning, Alex. The doctor dispute threatens to disrupt Korea-Japan ocean science research. It's not just about territory um, to the east of this peninsula. A Volkswagen pivoting hard to electric cars, signing huge cobalt contracts in the process. I'm looking forward to talking about that because um, we spoke about the emergence of hydrogen vehicles earlier on in the show but uh, electric cars do very much seem to be where major automakers are heading and first of all CRISPR allows scientists to genetically repaint butterflies and to study human embryos this CRISPR um, acronym it just shows no bounds does it Mark Zastro good morning Yes, good morning, Alex. Uh, You're right. It just seems like every week we're hearing about a new advance that is being made with the CRISPR gene editing system, which is basically a very, very precise set of genetic scissors. And in one study that came out last week, actually a pair of studies, scientists were able to use this pair of genetic scissors essentially to snip out a single gene in butterflies that they thought might have some role in the patterns and the colors on their wings. Now, they didn't know for sure what would happen if they did. They suspected it. But when they did, that they, they found that in all different species of butterflies, it radically changed their patterns. It had different effects in different species. Sometimes it would move around the patterns, the splotches uh, on their wings. Sometimes it would change the colors. Uh, but it's quite interesting that it had this effect on so many different butterfly species because that really helps to tell us something about the evolution and the role of those patterns on butterflies, that they're so intrinsic to their DNA. At the risk of asking a silly question, was this something they did to living butterflies and it changed their patterns over time? Or was this something they, they did you know, They did during to, the... to larvae. Yeah, and then, right. Yes, and Just then as they evolved... Later on, they saw what the effects were. So, but, but potentially CRISPR technology could make a difference to a, a living creature, though, as well. It wouldn't necessarily That's right. Happen. It can be directly injected into living creatures as well uh, to, perform, to perform genetic snipping. Uh, the second big study that came out last week using CRISPR was uh, a human embryo study. Unlike previously, it wasn't about trying to correct defective genes, though. It was just about studying how they develop. That's right. This research came from a team in the UK which had approval to use surplus embryos that had been created as a result of in vitro fertilization, but uh, these embryos were no longer needed. And so they used CRISPR to cut out a gene called OCT4 that they suspected was important in the development of embryos. Again, they didn't know exactly what would happen if they cut it out. Uh, When they did, the, the embryos were just a single cell, and then they followed their development for a week. And they found that it basically tended to halt the development. Most of them never actually developed beyond a single cell. So it's a very interesting study that allows us for the first time to really precisely pinpoint the role of a single gene uh, and to see how crucial it is in human embryonic development. Uh, Of course, as you were saying, just last month we heard about a study in human embryos that was actually correcting a mutation that can sometimes cause a fatal heart condition. Uh, I think this study shows us that CRISPR, you know, it isn't just good for, for, uh, quote-unquote, improving embryos, but it can also teach us a lot about basic biology. And maybe in the future it could help us to prevent miscarriages. And and that would certainly be hugely beneficial, would prevent a lot of heartbreak. What I really want CRISPR to do too, though, is to just cure some of these most challenging diseases that have 
overshadowed humanity for, for far too long, Mark. Well, well, that's what exactly what so many scientists are trying to do right now with it, and it certainly shows a lot of promise. Turning to a topic close to home, uh, the long-running standoff between this country and Japan over Dokdo, the islets that Japan calls Takashima, which is almost a bit like a, a curse word over here, isn't it? Um, got to always say that word in context. But um, while it's been a long-running sore point in political ties, the debate's begun to affect science too. This week, you actually personally reported, didn't you, in Nature, that Japan's boycotting one of South Korea's research vessels over the ship's name. That's right. It's an unfortunate situation because for a long time, ocean researchers in Korea and Japan have collaborated. They have a long history of collaborating on basic scientific research. They often come along on each other's research vessels, and they, they sometimes coordinate cruises together. Uh, but now, marine scientists in both countries are saying that Japan is preventing its government researchers from working with South Korean researchers on Korea's new research vessel, which is named Isabu. Now, this ship just launched uh, late last year, and it's the biggest research ship by far that Korea has ever constructed. It's named after the 6th century Shilla general Kim Isabu, He's best known for conquering the island nation of Usanguk, which included Ulungdo and also, according to some historical accounts, Dokdo. But now because of this association of the name with Dokdo, Japan is boycotting the ship. So several researchers in Korea and Japan told me and my colleagues at Nature that researchers at the Japanese Ocean Research Agency, which is called JAMSTEC, they have been ordered by the Japanese government to not use the ship. And this is blocking some collaborations between Korean and Japanese scientists. Has the government in Japan admitted to that? No. The Japanese government has not issued a formal protest over the ship's name specifically. Uh, however, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has ordered all Japanese government agencies to ensure that their actions follow the official Japanese position that Takeshima belongs to Japan. Uh, however, I was provided a copy of an email from a source who wished to be anonymous, and this email was sent from a Jamstech official. And the email said quite clearly that Jamstech could not collaborate on the vessel because they had consulted the Japanese science ministry, and the science ministry objected to that collaboration. Now, when I contacted the Japanese science ministry uh, to ask them if they had given such an order, they declined to comment. So politics really does seem to be overshadowing science here. Yeah, it's, uh, I, think it's, I think it's a real shame, and I, most of the scientists that I talked to uh, felt the same way. Although I have to say, Korean and Japanese researchers seem to disagree about which party has brought politics into the situation. Uh, most of the Korean researchers that I spoke to blame the Japanese government for giving a clearly uh, an overtly political order. After all, Jamstech itself in the email said that it was a non-scientific order, what, what uh, a non-scientific reason. What do you think about the name, though, in the first place? Right. Well, and, and many Japanese researchers, uh, uh, let me just say how, how, that, how they put out what, how they felt about it. Uh, they felt that the name should not have been selected and that... Korean researchers should have known that that name would be controversial. Uh, one Japanese researcher told me that giving a ship the name of a general is a fine name for a military vessel, but not for a scientific vessel. And some Korean researchers acknowledge that they regret that the name is getting in the way of these scientific collaborations. One of them told me that it's really a shame for the ship 
because by not being able to collaborate with Japanese researchers, it's restricting her capabilities. You know, for the first time, Korea, you know, they spent all this money and this time to construct a truly world-class research ship, but now it can't collaborate with one of its closest partners because of its name. But now the name is there. You can't see anyone backing down and changing the name at this point. No, it, it, no one that I spoke to suggested that that was uh, mm-hmm. any, you know, at all on the cards. Right. Uh, let's finish with the topic of electric cars, a company that's pledged to pivot hard in this direction, Volkswagen, which has been under a lot of criticism over an emission scandal in recent months, so it could uh, completely do a U-turn on that with uh, electric cars. Um, and they're starting to make good on that pledge, according to a report last week, moving quickly to secure massive amounts of cobalt which I presume is involved in the electric car process. That's right. Uh, Cobalt is a crucial component in a lot of types of lithium-ion batteries, which, of course, are crucial to electric cars. Uh, According to this report from Reuters last week, Volkswagen has now put out a call to the cobalt industry for uh, tender proposals to supply massive amounts of cobalt. Uh, it, it really is a move that shows it's serious about pivoting to electric cars, and it's a, a very crucial uh, contract situation for the future of the company because as electric cars take off, cobalt is going to be in even higher and higher demand. There are long-standing concerns about human rights abuses when it comes to battery material supplies, though. The metals are often mined by children in exploitative conditions. That's a separate PR problem that could be even bigger that VW is going to have to clear up. Uh, Is it going to be responsible about this mining? Uh, You're right, Alex. That is a huge concern. Uh, According to UNICEF and Amnesty, there are about 40,000 children in the Democratic Republic of Congo who are mining cobalt for about one to two U.S. dollars per day. Now, VW has requested uh, in its tender that all cobalt is not supplied by child labor, but there are many companies that say that and then simply do not implement any enforcement mechanism. So this is an absolutely crucial human rights issue, and it, it is only going to become more and more important as batteries all across technology, not just in electric cars, uh, but all across technology for power grids. Uh, you know, if we're going to have power grids that are able to use renewable energy, they're going to require uh, massive batteries as well. And so it's just going to become increasingly important as they become in higher demand. Yeah, it, it's an issue that uh, we've talked about several times if, if we are going to have electric vehicles as a way of solving emissions, we need to make sure they're not going to put even more pressure on our power stations and and just move the problem along. To, it's just phenomenal the amount of energy that's going to be needed. That's we, right, and stored. And, but we talked earlier in the show too about hydrogen vehicles. Do you see them as a viable alternative? Well, it all depends on, on, on adoption. Uh, obviously, there are Japanese automakers that are, are pushing very heavily for it, and it could work out very well for Japan. I guess the question is, is it going to be adopted outside of Japan? And a lot of people might just feel more comfortable not having hydrogen-powered vehicles. That's true, <laughs> but you know, people thought that way about gasoline, I think, too, at the beginning of cars. And always hear the voice of reason, the voice of sanity amidst the chaos. Always a pleasure to have you in the studio. Mark Zastro, science journalist, in the studio with us. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. And that's it for our programme today. We've got uh, Careerscape coming up next. After your latest news headlines, our latest edition of This Morning will return tomorrow at 7.05.